0: With each animal I think I learned more more about how much I loved that connection between humans and animals.
1: You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 27, part one of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Scott, and I'm so excited that you're here today. I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with our guest today, Jennifer Gans. Jennifer is a member of the amazing animal welfare community that I've met through my volunteer work in Baltimore. And I was thinking a lot about the fact that if it wasn't for the dogs bringing us together, I don't think that Jennifer and I's lives and circles ever would have intersected or crossed. I'm always so thankful to the dogs for the awesome people that they have put in my path. I first met Jen about four or five years ago when she started volunteering with Be More Dog, the organization that I volunteer with here in Baltimore. One of the main programs that we have at Be More Dog is called our Be More Dog Wellness Clinics. So what this is, is a pop-up veterinary clinic that we do usually in a park or a field in an underserved community in Baltimore where residents don't have easy access to veterinary care for their dogs. This could be due to transportation or other poverty-related issues. And so we have a team of volunteers that all come out, meet at the park, we you know, set up tents, we have veterinary care, we have things like nail trims, uh, people can take home free food for their pets. So at Be More Dog, when we realized that many of our clients were bringing their young children with them, and sometimes they're standing in line, it's not uncommon for us to serve up to 150, 160, even more dogs in one day in a three-hour time window. So sometimes people are standing around and we wanted to have a kid's corner at these events. So we didn't want children running around, have dogs get excited, have anyone get bitten or anything like this. So we have a, a kids corner and Jen has been running our kids corner and we're so grateful to her and kids can read they can color we have books um, she usually brings like a, a stuffed demo dog so that we can practice safe greetings how to pet a dog things like that it's really wonderful and I found out through our volunteer work that Jen is actually a school psychologist and we became Facebook friends and I started realizing that not only does Jen volunteer with Be More Dog, but she also is a foster mom for animals. She has rescued greyhounds she does a lot of work bringing her dog into school settings she works with a program called project mickey that brings not only jen's dog but other dogs into school settings so that kids can learn humane education in addition to their schoolwork. and i was just so amazed like oh my gosh i didn't know she was doing all these other things too jen is just so awesome so i was so glad to have the opportunity to sit down with her and hear more of her story And we had so many things to talk about that I decided to break this up and make a two-part episode. Jen also had an amazing collection of photos to share with us. I'm always so excited when we have lots of photos to go along with the episode. So I hope that you'll check the photos out on the new BelieveInDogPodcast.com website. You'll have a link in the show notes that'll take you right to Jen's page with the photo album. And I'll also upload these on Facebook and a selection of them on Instagram. In part one of the interview, we're going to talk about Jen's background. She grew up with quite a menagerie of pets that she'll share with us. Jen talks to us about her career path from being a teacher to a school psychologist, and what exactly is a school psychologist, and how she started bringing dogs into the classroom to help with this. Jen tells us about living and working for a year at a school in the Dominican Republic, and what it's like being the crazy American in another country. And we talk about the children, Jen's students, what their lives are like, what various challenges they may be facing every day, and how Jen's dog, Charm, can help. So let's get started with Jennifer Gans. So I'm here today with Jennifer Gans, who is a school psychologist and the Humane Educating Coordinator for Project Mickey. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? I am great. I'm so excited to talk to you because talking about this connection that children have with dogs is super important. And I've been able to see some of it in my work with Be More Dog, but I really want to hear your story today. And I, I always like to start out by asking, did you grow up with animals? Have you always been an animal person?
0: yes well first thank you so much for having me and charm my canine companion who is here on the floor with your canine companion penny yes. so uh we are so grateful that you had us charm is smiling at me now and uh so i was i was pretty much the person who uh Wanted to experience all the pets as a child. So I had a dog. Dixie was our childhood dog, and Dixie was a silky terrier and a little bit different than most silkies I've met as an adult. uh, From what I know, she had a traumatic experience when she was a child. Someone had hit her uh, when she was just a puppy. And so uh, she was not the friendliest or of dogs, but she was my heart, my love. Uh, she slept in my closet as a child and participated in many, uh, forts and tea parties and things.
1: Oh, that's adorable.
0: Yeah. And I, from there I had so many other pets. I had hermit crabs. Uh, they had a, a huge, uh, tank and an area with live coral and, uh, fresh sand from the beach every year. I would get fresh sand from Ocean City, Maryland to take home <laughs> for my hermit crabs. My mom reminded me today of some of their names. I had Romeo and Juliet. I forgot about them. <laughs> uh,
1: but... We had Laverne and Shirley. Oh,
0: yeah. They're, uh, I remember one of them lived four years, which I think was pretty good for hermit crabs. Um, and we used to feed them all kinds of things. I remember I had books and I would research. They loved peanut butter and lettuce. And, uh, so then from there I had, um, a Guinea pig, honey bunny. And then we got a house trained rabbit named Bugsy. And so Bugsy and uh, honey bunny had their crates or their cages next to each other and every morning my mom would get out carrots and I knew it was that time because I could hear honey bunny squealing and Bugsy would kind of be thumping around uh, very excited for their morning treat and I walked Bugsy on a leash (laughs) in the yard Uh, and uh, Bugsy unfortunately passed from a condition called pasturella which is common in rabbits. And you can, when you find a rabbit now, you can look for uh, rabbits that are bred without the pasturella tree. But um, I don't remember too much about it because I was just a, a preteen at the time, but um, we, we just loved him. He just lost uh, use of his the back part of his uh, limbs and body so uh-huh. um, we tried We he was on medicine for a period of time which slowed the progression of the disease but unfortunately it got to the point where we had to
1: um, have him euthanized Wow, you guys, your parents must have been <laughs> super animal people also that's the most dedicated story I've heard about a rabbit, I mean that's so heartwarming.
0: <laughs> we loved him he was our baby, yeah my mom and I we even had to have him fixed actually uh, he was neutered Uh, because of some of his behaviors he would uh gravitate to your arm or your leg (laughs) and uh so that helped a lot but I remember he used to sit on the sofa like on my head almost was where he (laughs) used to like to sit um and oh this is kind of a crazy story but we our house was near a big uh open space area and we hypothesized that it actually had been built near or on top of a black snake lair because growing up you would find a black snake like in the garage or unfortunately in the basement or yeah (laughs) so uh when I was in middle school my mother decided she wanted to get the the house much more, like, secured so that the snakes couldn't get in and out because they were getting in and out through, like, a crawl space and different areas. So I remember lying on the sofa... And Bugsy was on the sofa with me and one of the workers saying, don't move, and grabbing a black snake that had come up from the crawl space and was on the opposite end of the sofa from the bunny. Oh, my uh, God. This is the horrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Like I'm
1: like I'm have creepy crawlies. Right
0: I know, I know. I and I I try to love all animals. Um, so I definitely have forced myself to hold snakes over the years and and try to, you know, connect with them. But I still have a, a bit of an innate fear about, uh, finding a snake where they're not supposed
1: to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they don't mess with me, yeah, I'm fine with it. But it, it's the to me it's like they don't have feet so they shouldn't move and it weirds me out (laughs) yeah so after Bugsy then we ended up
0: with our cat uh, Shakespeare and both Bugsy and Shakespeare were both rescues um Shakespeare my mom and I he was just the love of our lives and amazing uh really uh interacted well with humans. Um, and he was just a funny, funny guy. He ended up retiring in Florida with my mother. Oh, wow. Um, and so he did pass, I guess, maybe it's been almost 10 years now. It doesn't feel like that long, but, uh, he, um, you know, with each animal, I think I learned more, uh, more about what I, uh, how much I loved that connection between humans and animals. And it's, so hard to put it to words but it's just I'm sure most people listening can 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 relate because you know animals just they have this beautiful uh sense of of connecting with us in ways we could never imagine and just really touching our hearts
1: so had you always wanted to go into the education field growing up and did you always envision having a career that mixed animals with that
0: Great question. I, I wanted to be a singer when I was a child. I was very theatrical, uh, but I think teacher was another thing that I talked about. Um, and I went to East Carolina university and got my, uh, undergraduate degree in elementary education. So I taught third grade for two years, uh, in Anne Arundel County. Um, and, that yeah it it felt like a great fit for me in fact i became the person uh, or one of the two teachers that everyone brought animals to <laughs> so my colleagues and i have hilarious stories about you know being in a staff meeting and someone showing up from the bird rescue and saying you know, we're here for the bird and everyone just looking at us and we're like, (laughs) oh yeah, it's in our office. Hold on a second. We'll go get it. (laughs) You know? Uh, but I, I think I always wanted to work with kids, um, and, and help. I've always wanted to be the helper, uh, and, and animals too, because I was cat sitting and house sitting for people. Um, I remember scaling walls, uh, trying to get uh, a cat fed that was not very interested (laughs) in me being in their home, uh, my neighbors. But uh, animals always perplexed me, just
1: uh, as children did, I guess, as well. So, how did you end up being a school psychologist? Well, I was teaching
0: uh, third grade. And looking at graduate programs, and I was looking at marriage and family therapy programs, and I was also looking at school psychology, and I realized that staying in the school field kind of took my, would take my career in the same path it was going. If I went into marriage and family therapy, I may be listening to more, uh, I guess, families arguing or working with families on divorce, and that seemed like a bit of a different direction. Um So, I applied to a couple programs in the area and was accepted to Towson's school psychology program. And so, that is a three year program. Uh, The last year is an internship. So, um, I just once I found the field, it, it and actually the school psychologist at the elementary school where I worked, Steve Evans, he is the one that said, I really want you to look at school psychology. Seriously, you know, take a look at this and come back. And I realized I could do so many things. Um, My days would never be the same. I would be doing counseling one day or uh, evaluation one day, working with kids with a variety of special needs and supporting them and their families. And it just from the minute I found the field it felt like the right place for me to be
1: yeah because that was going to be one of my questions is what exactly is a school psychologist and what is their role in it and does every school have one or how does that work they do. Every public
0: school should have, well, in the United States, does have a school psychologist. Uh, depending on the district, that person may be there just one day a week. Oh, okay. They may be there full time. Um, there may be more than one. It really depends on the school district, the needs, the funding.
1: And is this different from like a guidance counselor? That's a term that I remember from my days, but I don't specifically remember school psychology from when I was in school. But that's been a little bit while now. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it is. It's different. Um, we may have some overlap in terms of working with families, working with teachers, working with children to help solve challenges. Um, The difference with a school psychologist is that we also have the assessment piece or the evaluation piece where we're looking at children and helping an IEP team to determine if that child meets the criteria for a disability and if they're in need of special education services. Um, So we do IQ testing. We do... um, We have behavior rating skills that we give to families, to teachers, uh, so that we can see a whole picture. We do observation. We'll delve deep into a child's file and look at uh, their patterns over years, what kinds of strengths they have and weaknesses. Have they missed school? Um, We we kind of, I I kind of think of myself as sometimes like doing an investigation because I'm looking at all the different pieces. Are there, you know, does the child wear glasses? Do they need to wear glasses, but they don't, um, you know, are they in school regularly or do they show up often late? Um, maybe they've switched schools. So we're looking at all those pieces when a child is struggling and trying to figure out uh, how that uh, all looks Together, you know, does that uh, come together and look to us like it's a disability, or could it be more like a child has missed instruction, or um, maybe they just are. A more hyperactive child they have more energy but it doesn't necessarily mean there's a disability so it's that's the big piece that separates us I would say is that um, we do that type of assessment and the school team often looks to us as an evaluator to say okay you know we can look at all these pieces now what can you help to tell us what does this all put together mean for a child
1: that's really powerful. Like a big responsibility. <laughs> it
0: is. It is. Uh, and it, it, I definitely take it very seriously um, because it's really hard uh, to have these conversations, to talk to a parent and ask them, you know, has anybody ever talked to you about autism before? Or, you know, and sometimes the answer is, well, yes, you know, we've had the doctor mention that. Or, or actually, yes, we're, we're already in treatment here for this. And sometimes the answer is, well, no, I never thought thought about that before, but I knew my child was a little different, Mm -hmm. or um, learning disabilities is another really big complex, uh, you know, it's not as simple as just putting uh, a name to something, there's so many pieces and and moving parts uh, that uh, we look at, and we really want to try to fix the environment, fix the supports, and put as much in place for a child before we come to the conclusion that it's a disability that we need to
1: address. And so do you primarily work with, like, elementary age, middle school, or high school? I am, um, well,
0: I'm nationally certified. I'm also certified for Maryland, and and actually I continue to maintain a certification for elementary education. Uh, My current position, I work at two schools. I work for uh, students in a middle school program and in a high school program, and these are children with emotional and behavioral disabilities and challenges. So a lot of kids that may be diagnosed with ADHD or may suffer from conditions like depression or anxiety... Sometimes our kids that have more conduct challenges uh, maybe kids that I, I'm working with. Uh, but I've worked with all ages, so I love the elementary schoolers just as much as I do the high schoolers. I just don't currently have an elementary school that I'm working with directly. Gotcha.
1: So how did you start mixing in the dogs into your work? Well, I was very fortunate
0: that a good now friend at the time, just a colleague, Heidi Trizotti, has started Project Mickey with Kate Callahan. And the goal of Project Mickey as a humane education program, which I believe was started in 2012. Um, So we're coming on almost 10 years. But they really wanted to focus on educating children about um, how to interact safely with dogs, helping children to see animals as sentient beings, and really trying to get some of those skills to hopefully prevent uh, dog bites, mistreatment of animals, and, and just help both animals and humans to live uh, a more fulfilled life. So they had started that, um, and about, I guess, four or so years in, Heidi held a workshop, and she asked other school mental health professionals, I think it was both social workers and school psychologists that were interested to come and so it just it it blew my mind open to think about how we could work together with animals to teach these skills Um, and at the time I, I saw it as an opportunity. I had lost, just lost my first greyhound, Mako. And, you know, so I really wanted to get involved uh, more with animals and animal rescue and animal welfare. So Heidi was gracious enough to take me under her wing and really helped train me. Um, And I got a lot of just on the ground training. Uh, Kate Callahan, who also started Project Mickey. Um, they were just very beautiful and letting me kind of come on board and, and slowly I kind of started taking the reins and, uh, was planning and programming and creating curriculum myself. And, uh, and so it, it, it was something I, I, I really feel like I kind of fell into. Um, there were already so many amazing volunteers in place. Uh, you know, you know Pauline, you know Di. we had so many amazing people that were already there, ready to work with us in the schools. so it uh, it was very exciting and it's just been something that I've taken and it has become, really my passion now and I hope soon maybe within the next year or two I will be doing full-time animal assisted work Uh, right now it's it's part of my job and part of what I'm doing but I also have that traditional school psychologist piece that is uh, still a, a huge part of what I do
1: Yeah, I know you've uh, talked some about a new program that you're enrolled in. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. So
0: I'm actually in two, uh, I guess, postgraduate programs. The first is I am uh, working with the International Institute for Animal Assisted Play Therapy. And that is under the supervision of Dr. Risa Van Fleet. It has been a beautiful program. It's teaching, uh, it's for people that are already in mental health fields working with animals that want to have more specific training. So we look at ethics, we look at body language, we look at training methods. Uh, We have live practicums where we're working with therapy dogs. Um, In October, I'll take my own dog and he'll join me in Pennsylvania for the level two training But it's really helped me to see what I'm doing and a lot of the things I've been doing very well. I can pat myself on the back for the training (laughs) and the mentorship I've had. Um, And it's also had me think about things that I need to do a little bit differently, like something I talked to you about before we started the podcast today was always having a bed for charm so that when he's at school with me, when he's working with me, he can be, uh, have the choice to move away from an activity. He can have the choice to participate or not. And making sure that the dog is just an equal uh, part of the program. So they're there because they want to be there, because they enjoy their job in that role. And uh, we're allowing them to make that choice to be a part of, of the work we do with students.
1: And so... Once you complete that program, how will that um how will that like mix into what you're doing um already?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't need to get the certification. So but what I see it as is I see it as more training, more knowledge. I will hopefully be become like a certified animal assisted play therapy. So that's what I'm working towards. But really it's it's largely for me to have that skill set. But I also think training matters, programming matters. So as I'm looking forward to more opportunities in my future, looking for grants, looking for funding so that I can hopefully take this to the next level. And I'm in a second program too. I just started the Canine Assisted Intervention Specialist Program uh, at Denver. And that is super exciting. It's similar to the program I'm in, except it is largely just focused on that dog-human interaction. Um, So we're largely studying dog behavior, training, ethics, again, and looking at dogs in different types of roles. But then it culminates with projects and programming that we will be doing that are specific to our own goals so you know I'm hoping to be creating more content and curriculum that can be used more largely through with more students
1: that sounds wonderful
0: it's exciting it's it's gonna be a lot of work um and I I'm sure some people think I'm crazy to do two programs at once (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I feel like I'm working with probably the best people in this industry in animal assisted intervention and animal assisted therapy. It just I feel truly blessed. I've been reading these people's books and and research articles, and now I'm a part of the team. And uh, and it's it's beautiful. I'm not sure where it'll take me. We'll, we'll
1: have to see. <laughs> That's so exciting. So, we've talked a lot about professionally, and I know you mentioned your personal dog that had passed. And so, do you want to talk to us about the dogs you've had in your life as an adult and where they have led you? Sure. Uh, So Mako
0: was my first greyhound, and both of my greyhounds are retired racing
1: greyhounds. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, (laughs) so
0: Mako, it's kind of funny, we joke uh, that he must have run crooked at the track or, you know, something bit somebody, you know, because there is no record of him running any races but we do know that he was at the racetrack um one of the tracks up north that's now closed um so we adopted him at three and he was my first adult dog uh I was married or at the time engaged and so my ex and I uh it was his first dog and we were so excited, and, you know, looking back, we did so many things wrong. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think that
1: all the time. I think that all the time. Oh,
0: we were using a flexi leash. I mean, just little things like that. I'm like, what was I thinking? But a trainer told us to use the flexi leash. Um, Mako had some challenges. Uh, two weeks in, he bit me. I still have a scar on my hand. <gasps> um, I also have a scar on my face. So I, I think it was, uh, talking about... Uh, Was it Brittany talking about Carmelo on one of your episodes and how scary that is when you have a dog that bites because you have relatives and people telling you, well, just put the dog down, you know, or... We can't come to your house anymore because our children aren't safe or, you know, but uh, my ex and I, Bill, we, that was our baby and we were going to do everything we needed to do. So we worked with a variety of specialists in the area. He ended up on Prozac and later also on gabapentin for pain, though I believe once he was on the gabapentin the combination between the Prozac and the gabapentin really was what helped to mellow him out. But he bit both of us multiple times. I ended up taking my school psychology skills and writing out a whole, you know, systematic, I guess, evaluation of what had when these things were happening. So it was like, okay, there's people at our house for a party, or it's nighttime, or people are drinking alcohol. You know, what are the different factors that are involved? Right. And then putting prevention in place. So
1: that's really
0: amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like I didn't have a choice, you know, at this point. It was
1: like I commend that kind of level <laughs> of problem- solving. like I, that like I feel like like I'm a kindred spirit in that regard.
0: <laughs> I don't do things halfway. <laughs> when I do it, it's pretty much all the way. Uh, but he lived to 14 um ha- had really challenging separation anxiety i mean he chewed through crates baby gates door frames uh the wall you know uh sheet whatever sheetrock yeah, yeah. <laughs> he chewed through it i mean it was amazing to see that level of 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 anxiety um and 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 sad you know really upsetting but the majority of moments were beautiful with him and uh really i learned so much from him and i learned about uh compassion and and, and trying to understand things from his perspective a little bit more too you know never able to identify any root cause but i think you know any animal you get at 3 years old you, you have no idea what has happened right. prior to them coming to your family so you know we loved him and we were going to work with him and 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 man he had a great life we moved to the dominican republic with him he flew on a private
1: jet oh wow
0: uh, he was a boating dog we we boated all over the chesapeake bay with him he he had the life
1: How did you end up in the Dominican
0: Republic? (laughs) Well, I was there as a school psychologist for a year, and my ex-husband was working in real estate and uh, working on a project, so we decided, we were young, we were in our 20s then, and it was like, well, if we want to take a big chance, let's do it now, let's move to the Caribbean, this sounds great, so and we did, we were there for a year. Um, unfortunately that was when the first real estate crash occurred, uh, right around 2008. So it was, the timing was a little off, but we still made the best of it. And Mako, he spent, there were nights he wouldn't come in from that porch. I mean, he loved it. He loved laying in the sand, um, digging a hole and, and, uh, and it was really peaceful. It, he he
1: probably liked it the best out of all of us there. So, yeah, what is that like? I don't like. I <laughs> I have no um, frame of reference for for that.
0: <laughs> I know it. It the whole experience was was kind of crazy. Um,
1: I mean, is it? unfair for me to say is like a third world country
0: it it is um we were living in a very affluent community though so we were working with more of an international community i had students from all over the world uh classes occurred in english Uh, staff meetings occurred in Spanish so there was definitely a lot of raising my hand and asking halt hold on do I understand um a lot of learning Spanish on my feet uh but it was definitely a, a kind of experience that you learn from and it becomes I think a big part of who you are to leave the country and experience what life is like somewhere else uh I came from the public school systems. I grew up in public schools. I've always worked in public schools. So I was working at a private school there and it was very different. I was used to, you know, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome to the resources and supports we have. And there part of my job was to help determine which children could come to our school and which could not. And that, I think they let me do that for a very short period of time because I said, look, we have the best resources in the area. So any child with any needs, I feel like, uh, is going to be, yeah, would benefit from being here with us in our school.
1: Oh my gosh. That sounds like so hard to (laughs) have to make those kinds of decisions. Oh
0: my gosh. It was. And talking to families, um, and trying to help them understand, you know, we would have families that wanted their, child to learn at our school, but for some children, you know, it's not in their best interest to learn in a language that's not their first language. Some kids can do it and can and can excel, but then you have other students that really probably needed to be in a school and learning in their primary language in Spanish for many of them.
1: And so... Talk to me about pet ownership there. Is that something that's common? Um, You know, as common as it is here, like are animals sort of treated the same way or or what does that look like?
0: Um, People probably looked at us like we were a little bit crazy. You know, we were probably the crazy Americans walking around with this, you know, brindle greyhound who looked very exotic. They uh, would refer to him as a galgo. That was the word that many people were familiar with.
1: What does that mean?
0: Galgo is just—it's a sight hound, so oh, okay. out of Spain and. Uh, I thought same. it
1: maybe meant like giraffe or
0: something. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Though I do get uh, when he's in school with me, I get all kinds of things: camel, um, deer. A lot of people say he looks like a deer. I can see Charm, that. yeah. But no, I would say pet ownership, um, we did have some people we knew with pets. There were many, many animals outside um, that lived outside. That's Uh, what I was picturing. Yeah. And when you go into some of the less affluent communities, people are still using horses and donkeys and things. So you would see animals tied up outside of a store.
1: So I'll tell a very funny story real quick. My husband and I, on our honeymoon, we went to the island of Antigua in the Caribbean. This is the only time I've ever been to the Caribbean. So we made the terrifying mistake that we were going to rent our own car. And we thought, like, oh, we'll get to drive around and check out these beaches. And, you know, we had, like, this little, like, it was like a geo tracker, I think. You know, like, oh, it's going to be this great experience. It was not. Um... We did not know, first of all, in Antigua that they drive on the opposite side. The steering wheels are all on the opposite side. I had gotten... Like everything, I had booked all the reservations, so the driver's license was in my name, so I had to be the one to drive, and like that was terrifying for me. Um, and we also, you know, again learned like it's basically once you get away from like the main town where the airport is, it's like a third world country. Streets are not paved. There are no street signs. So, um, you know, we weren't fancy enough to go to like sandals or one of those kind of places. So we had to like figure out where the heck to get to our resort that we were staying at, and we got horribly. Lost. We were like, we were at one point driving through like a very poor part of town. At one point, we were driving on a road, and all of a sudden, the road ended, and a herd of goats ran out in front of us. There was like nothing like around. We ended up having to pay a bunch of guys with machetes to give us directions, <laughs> which my husband I think still kind of pulls over my head. Like, you maybe talk to this machete guy. <laughs> but they gave excellent directions (laughs) and so once we got to the resort we did not leave again on our own and when it came time for us to go back we actually paid a taxi to let us follow him back to the airport because we knew we had to get this stinking vehicle back to the airport (laughs) and you know like you'd be driving on these roads and they are not and it's just dirt and there's like these huge gullies like off the side of the road. so this is like what I'm picturing I don't know if any of this is yes no you're you're pretty accurate I mean that's
0: I was in again a a different type of uh, community so we were in a gated community for very affluent families it was like the jet set uh type of of community Community. Yeah, it's the only time in my life I've ever been in that kind of <laughs> community. But I can say I was there for that year. And um, honestly, that piece of it was actually very hard for me. Because when I saw how the typical Dominican lived, when I saw the school building, when I saw the resources, the grocery store, the places that they, uh, I had trouble be feeling like I had more and wanting to help that community more, right. um, realizing that my supports and my resources were going to the most affluent people in the country. And that was really hard for me ethically. Uh, cause I, I just wanted to help everyone, you know, and I didn't want it to be limited by whether or not their family could afford to come to my school or not. Right.
1: I had no idea about this part of your story. <laughs> and so then you came back to the
0: U.S., I guess. I did. I came back to the U.S. and uh, started working at a school full-time, as that's the school psychologist in a pre-K through eight. And it actually was the elementary school my mom went to. Oh, wow. So that was kind of crazy. Um, and I was between different schools, um, With my job, sometimes things will change, like they may change the position from a a five-day-a-week to a a four-day-a-week, depending on enrollment or needs or special programming. So I've worked in about, I want to say about 10 schools in my district, maybe not quite that many, maybe more like Six, but I have stayed with our program for kids with emotional and behavioral needs because that's really where my heart is—is is with our kids that sometimes are less understood than other children and may be looked at as the bad kid. Um, when really, every child wants love and every child wants to be successful in this world and learn. And you know, they may have challenges that are in their way. They may have traumas they've experienced. They may have, you know, less access to resources and and less exposure, but.
1: And I'm picturing maybe less family support.
0: Yeah, sometimes. It depends. Um, uh, Some children I work with have amazing family support. I do find that a lot of the families may be one-parent households. Uh, And so that's difficult because you have a parent trying to support a family and also working. Some of our families would like to help more, but they... they As schools and as a community, we need to do a better job, I think, of bringing families in, inviting them, saying, you're a part of this process. You know, come into the school. Let's learn together. Uh, The one school I work with has been doing a beautiful job of that. They have all different nights, and they've had cooking nights where we have uh, different families that come from different backgrounds different countries different places all over the world and they'll lead a recipe uh, over zoom for oh, wow. anyone who's interested and the school will actually drop off the ingredients to the home of any children interested in participating so oh my gosh, wow. yeah it's a phenomenal uh this school has has been a phenomenal experience for me seeing how innovative they are in working with families and uh, embracing the different cultures and backgrounds.
1: And so I'm assuming that MAKO did not ever take part in any of of your school (laughs) work oh no
0: no we Mako could not be around kids uh he definitely uh even though i would say 99.9 percent he was a beautiful kind sweet boy and people would say to me there's no way he's bit before you know that i just don't believe it but um no once you have an animal that has caused injury you know you really have to really be careful Um, so after he died, I I told myself, okay, I I had the difficult dog. (laughs) It's time to find a dog that can partner with me in schools and help with education and therapy. So I I knew I was gonna get another Greyhound. Um, and I uh the group that I was working with, Paws on the Mountain. They are in West Virginia. And I talked to Denise and I said, you know, this is what I'm looking for. And she gave me a list of all the dogs that would be coming up. And I, you might like this geeky part of me too. I made a spreadsheet with every single dog. I read all of their race notes. So I read anything if, you know, it, there's not a lot, but you can find little things that may indicate a personality. I looked at how many tracks they had moved between, and I thought, let me find the dog that on paper looks to have like the least disruption or least trauma. And I didn't know if that would work, but it was the only real system I could, could come do. Up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so when I went to visit the dogs and I walked, charm whose uh, racing name was nor'easter um and he was amazing and i walked him and i said hold on was i was i supposed to get some kind of like a uh a- a sign, you know. I don't know. Like, can this dog do therapy work? And I, I don't know, you know. And I walked a couple more, and I realized, you know, I'm not gonna know. It's, it's not something that is like an easy thing just to see off, off the top. So,
1: it's sort um, of a leap of faith. When, it you is, know, bring you know. That dog in, yeah.
0: So I said, I'm gonna let him come home. He's gonna be a dog, and I'm not gonna even worry about this for a while. And so I. In some ways, I kind of regret that because it was a good couple of years before I really got into to more uh, complex training with him and getting him prepared for schools. And I realized, oh my gosh, he loves this. You know, maybe I should have started sooner. But I had it in my mind. The boy had run, you know, 50 some races. He didn't have much control over his existence for the first three years of his life, uh, just like Mako. You know, um, there was a lot of training around running, but not much else. And so, I, I wanted him to be a dog um, and and just enjoy not having a job <laughs> or responsibilities. Right. But he has since then proven to me that he absolutely loves schoolwork and he loves connecting with children. I can say the word school, and he would jump up from being asleep over the pandemic actually it was really tough because he stopped jumping up when I said the word and I felt so sad you know it's like he knew we weren't going because we had gone for so long and then suddenly we're all at home
1: (laughs) so what kind of training classes have you done with him I know you have some of his um awards sitting here so I've done
0: a lot of training with Amy from Oscar winning behavior Uh, she has become a very good friend Uh, I first started working with her very early because I have a cat Finnegan and I wanted to make sure that I was understanding the body language and interactions and so Amy was recommended to me she also volunteers for Project Mickey and so I had her come and help me understand what was going on between the two animals and yes charm was very curious and he might run fast at the cat but it wasn't in an aggressive manner and so that you know because I knew I can't keep a greyhound here that's not gonna be uh, able to live in harmony with Finnegan you know Finnegan at that point was my top priority but I was very reassured by Amy that everything charm was doing was 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 okay. You know, there was nothing that looked, uh, dangerous for Finn. So, um, I worked with Amy some, and, uh, I also have taken classes. So she does scent classes. She does, we've done pattern games, which was really fun. We, I've taken some different seminars so with Pauline I did an agility like I think a four-week agility program and that was when Charm got his first experience with the tunnel which he loves though it took (laughs) a while like at first he didn't want to run through and we've done different training we worked uh, for the CGC we had to prepare for that so Amy helped me with that
1: that's the canine good citizen
0: Yeah, so he's a canine good citizen, and so she helped me. I I did some of that training myself, Um, and as I've learned skills, of course, I'm I'm doing more and more myself uh, with him.
1: You know, I always feel like the word training kind of gets a bad rap, and that we need to kind of, like, rebrand it or something, because... I feel like there are two, like the average dog person thinks of training as like, one, there's like a problem with the dog and I need to fix it. Like he's biting you or something or two oh, I want to go and do like some kind of fancy competition where we're running around a ring or whatever. And it, and, and I'm always like, no, no, no. It's really more about building the relationship between you and your dog. And, and I'm like, we need a better word than training. <laughs>
0: yes, 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 yes. It's all about that relationship. And I think a big piece of learning uh, positive training methods for me has been the ability to then teach those to students. So, being able to hand a child a clicker and they're clicking for charm and learning how to positively reinforce behaviors. They can then take that skill home right. and use with their own animal. I think, you know, for me training is not a sit down for five minutes. It's it's an all day thing. It's from the minute I get up, we're in essence training right because just even to go to the bathroom I have a bell in the door you know they ring the bell oh that's so cool (laughs) my cat's the one that rings it the most obnoxiously
1: I feel like Nino (laughs) just runs to the backyard or to the back door and is just like oh
0: (laughs) that's how we know right well he trained you right? right so and that's fine you know you have a system but it is I think training really is helping you to strengthen that relationship learn how to work in. Harmony help the dog to be able to advocate to express their needs get their needs met appropriately you know dogs can do so much they are such sentient intelligent amazing creatures Uh, and I think they do a lot more than we give them credit for when we're just sitting at home throwing a ball
1: (laughs) so thinking of like pre-covid times we'll get to the COVID time what would like your average day or you know what kind of role would charm be playing in your work or what did that that look like before COVID? well he was going to school with me about one or two days a week
0: i'd work at two schools i have a better setup uh, for him at one school so typically he was going there though we did do some visits to the other school so on days he goes with me, we could be seeing uh, students individually for counseling. We might have a group. We might be going in and doing a Project Mickey lesson in a classroom. Uh, and It really kind of varies. I mean, he has he has been at meetings with a family and and sits there and kind of helps comfort the child or occasionally walks around and, uh, you know, wh- what's going on in here? <laughs> but uh, occasionally he stays in my office if it's something – if a kid is in crisis, sometimes people will walk a student down and say – can this child have a couple minutes to pet charm um especially if we, it's a child we know will deescalate quickly if they engage with him
1: so what does that look like what does that you know mean child in crisis um i guess how does um, that present
0: <laughs> yeah so you know if we think back to when we were in school i think there was a lot more you know you're in your seat you follow the direction you know And with today's students, they have a lot of needs. They're not always sitting in a chair calmly. Um, Maybe somebody said something that upset them. Maybe something happened on the way to school. Um, So their emotions are heightened. Uh, Maybe they're yelling. Maybe they're pacing. Maybe they're talking about wanting to go home or... Uh, wanting to get even with someone. So maybe there's yelling involved or walking in and out of the classroom. Um, so one thing I do have to make sure is that the child is safe with charm. I find that children almost immediately kind of like do this flip. It's like they their uh, level of, of stress and anxiety kind of reduces almost immediately upon seeing him. and then they'll just kind of pet him a little bit. Maybe I talk to them at first. Maybe I don't. Maybe I just let Charm and the child kind of have that moment. Oftentimes, the laugh, his ears are usually in some goofy format. His ears might be like both to the left, both to the right, one straight up. So we might joke about his ears. A lot of times, I start talking about body language with him and then it parallels to them. So I'll say, Oh, yeah, he really likes you. Did you notice how he leaned into you? I think he's feeling calm how do you think he's feeling and then it might we might then talk about how the child's feeling he is in Penny's bed right now so Penny looks like she wants her bed back (laughs) did you know we were wait talking about you guys charm came in and just made himself at home I see you charm were you taking a nap (laughs) And the other cool thing is I live in walking distance to the school where he visits primarily. And uh, so if I do have something going on in the afternoon or he seems tired or maybe I have a big meeting in the morning, I can just quickly walk home five minutes and walk him back to school. And so um, some days, especially right after COVID, when kids went back into the schools, he was doing more like half days with me. Because I realize it's really, it's a long day for a dog, especially a dog. If you think about it, they sleep all day when we're at work. So suddenly they're awake, they're performing, they're engaging with, you know, a variety of people that they may know well. You know, there's people in the school, there are teachers, there are people that I would say are like his favorite people. Um, but then there may be people he's never met before. There may be noises and sounds and sights, so it's quite a lot for a dog uh, to spend a whole school day right, uh, with us.
1: Right. So generally speaking, obviously not nothing specific, what are the, kind of, some of the challenges that you're seeing in the students that you're dealing with like are they having home life challenges is it uh, neighborhood you know life challenges is it school life challenges is it all of them is it individual you know I know you work with children who who do have you know maybe some level of you know learning disability or some kind of extra challenge in their learning environment but I guess I just want to give give our listeners an understanding of what were you know what what these kids are home life might look like or just some of the things that you've encountered sure unfortunately
0: a lot of the students i work with are going through a lot of adversities they may have what we would call chronic or complex trauma which means there are multiple factors that maybe have been going on for an extended period of time
1: i honestly believe that like that's a fair description of a lot of baltimore city in general (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i mean our neighborhoods are unfortunately very unsafe for not every neighborhood but many of the neighborhoods my students work in are unsafe so they may pass somebody on the way to just to the bus stop that's you know, holding a gun or making a drug transaction or, you know, those are just normal, typical things. We have children. I remember talking to a boy one day and I said, well, where were you yesterday? You weren't in school. And he said, well, they were shooting around my way. So, you know, my mom didn't want me to leave. And I said, well, w- what happens when they shoot? Do you do you get down on the ground when you hear the shot? He goes, no, I just, you know, just stay inside. And uh, so, you know, our we have a very, I would say, mixed experience depending on where you live in the city. And so many of my children do live in neighborhoods that they don't feel very safe to be outside. They come from a variety of family backgrounds. So some of my students have very strong family support, uh, two-parent households, or extended family that are very involved. I've got certain parents that are basically on speed dial, or we text, you know, back and forth all the time. Um, I have other children who it's very difficult to get a hold of their parent. Maybe the phone number is changing a lot, or the parent is working so many hours in order to provide for the family because they're a single parent. So the community violence is a big piece, and I would say... You know, we know that school is a challenging environment at times, too. You know, we can have kids that are bullied. We have kids that don't feel included. And when you're in that teenage year, I know for me, I grew up with very engaged parents but I still struggled a lot with my own mental health and and uh feeling confident you know one thing can happen uh and it can almost like scar you you know during those years where it's so upsetting like maybe you trip and fall in the cafeteria um so for these kids it's those kind of normal teenage or or, you know experiences I know for me I was very tall so that was that was yeah (laughs) oh it was so hard you know to be so much taller than everyone but if you add on then the environmental piece and maybe less family support for some not for all and uh you know Sometimes families have moved a lot, so I will see that too. Where maybe the child has been at four or five different schools, and so they have to make new friends at each school, they have to connect with teachers and adults and learn the policies and the procedures. And so, I think there's very much layers to all of this and and it's very individualized also
1: yeah i just think it's really important to give some context to to people who haven't had that type of experience in in their own life or or might have generalizations or or something you know Mm -hmm. and i i always like to give the real details and experiences whenever possible yeah
0: i mean guns are a problem drugs are a problem and unfortunately uh these things They do creep into the lives of children. And most of my children have uh, at least heard gunshots before, if not, uh, you know, could tell me of a time where someone they know has died from gun violence, maybe a relative. That's another big piece. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of loss. And that's very, very hard to understand at that age why someone's life was cut short by gun violence especially if it's someone that you loved or someone that you saw every day or a you know a relative a cousin a brother
1: and presumably just having like less resources to to deal with that you know on on their own so I can just imagine what a lifesaver it would be to you know be able to go snuggle with charm for a few minutes yeah yeah
0: resources that's a huge thing um the inequity in our city uh is is a big problem and you know i got involved the way i met you was through be more dog uh which does the community vet clinics and you know, also Caitlin Thomas has been doing so much uh, with community outreach, finding Knox. And then we've got Annie with Charm City Companions. I mean, there's so many programs that are trying to help uh, level the playing field in terms of resources. Right. But when we look at it, you know, I think um, it was Jasmine in one of your recent podcasts was talking about, well, if there's no grocery store to buy, or, no pet store to buy a high quality dog food, then you're left with the options at the family dollar right. or at the dollar general. So, sometimes you know, it's not even a matter of, of money. It might just be a matter of access right. also, right. Uh, because when you don't
1: have a car and, you know, right. you have to take three bus buses to get to the grocery store and then how are you going to carry this all home? And
0: exactly. I have kids that take sometimes multiple buses just to get to school. Yeah. Cause there is so,
1: no, no, um, yellow school bus system in Baltimore city. They just have to take the mass transit.
0: Yeah, our children that um receive special education services, some of them uh receive yellow bus or cab transportation actually, but it's typically they have to meet a certain criteria for that. Oh, okay. So um. But
1: not the average.
0: It's, it's not the, the average, average student. No, this might be a child say a child with autism who we know struggles with direction mm-hmm. they may then uh be eligible for transportation so then they would get transportation but it still could be a, an hour bus ride because they're picking right. up multiple kids in multiple neighborhoods and so you know yeah transportation is is another really big uh factor that impacts our access uh, in our in our city
1: Okay, we are going to stop and end part one of our interview with Jennifer Gans right there. I'll have links to the different organizations and programs that Jennifer mentioned in the show notes, so make sure you look for those, as well as check out the photo gallery of all the pictures that Jennifer shared, including one where she does have her bunny on her head, just like she said. When I was listening back to the episode, I think... Two of the points that really stood out to me was number one, about rescuing greyhounds and hearing about their racetrack notes. So that was something that I don't know anything about since I've never had a greyhound and don't really know anything about greyhound racing. And the other thing that I really loved was when we talked about the leap of faith that it is when you bring a new dog into your family. And I can remember sometimes it's a little bit of a learning curve, uh, bringing this new being into your home. Next week, part two of my interview with Jen will drop and we have so much more ground to cover. We talk more about her work in the classroom and more about her students' relationship with Charm and with the other dogs in the Project Mickey program. We talk about teaching during COVID. There is still much more to come. By the way, I just wanted to mention again for anyone in the Baltimore area, if you would like to attend the Baltimore Humane Society's Pet Memorial event on Sunday, September 12th, I'm going to be speaking there about pets as healers. It's a beautiful ceremony and a beautiful way to remember any pets that aren't with us anymore. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can RSVP. And that will do it for today's episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast and on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores. And remember to check out the new Believe in Dog Podcast.com. I'm very excited about it. I've been working on it behind the scenes for way longer than I probably should have been. <laughs> remember, you can always leave a five star rating and review. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Also, your reviews and kind words about the podcast really do help more people find the show. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. The Believe in Dog podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.